let's get the private cars out of the congested areas, out to the out- outskirts, use this shared automated transportation, you know, in this kind of campus environment. And I think actually it's going to happen. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Grok Science Show, your weekly look at the world of science and technology. I'm your host, Samantha Thomas, and on the show today, we have Corey Clothier of Local Motors to discuss trends in the automotive industry, such as self-driving cars. So welcome, Corey. We're so glad you could be on the show today to talk about some trends in the automotive industry. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. (laughs) So you work for a company called Local Motors. Um, Can you tell us about what you guys do there and what your main focus is? Yeah, Local Motors is a pretty amazing company. I I started early this year, and I've I've been so impressed kind of following their progress through the years. They started in 2007. Um, Jay Rogers is the founder. We connected because we were both former Marine Corps officers, and somebody connected us saying, you guys are both Marine Corps officers and you are both doing cool things because I was focused on automated vehicle development with the U.S. Army, and um, Jay was focused on these really interesting um, new model for vehicle development. So Local Motors is really a a technology company that focuses on vehicle design, building, and selling. So, But they do it in a really interesting, disruptive way in that they use co-creation, so kind of like crowdsourced design and engineering, and we call it co-creation because it's it's more of a collaborative relationship with our community, um, our global community of designers and engineers. And that's kind of the the starting point of what makes us pretty unique is that we we use um, this co-creation model to design our vehicles, and we can do it really fast and really effective through that. You know, for an example, we we designed and built a military vehicle in just around five months for mm-hmm. a DARPA um, project a few years ago. So it kind of gives you a, a sense of um, where we are. And then we also, Local Motors comes from the the philosophy is that we build micro factories. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you might say micro factory is actually a fairly big building. It could be about a 40,000 square foot building that employs about 100 people. And our goal is to launch about 100 of these globally in the next 10 to 12 years. So those are a couple couple things that make us pretty unique. So I have a lot of questions about that. So first of all, the micro factories, uh, you, plan, you plan to build those around the world. And is that so that you um, could address the specific uh, concerns of people living in that area and what they need in a vehicle? Yes, exactly. Yep. We... When we look for a location for our micro factories, we do it based on regional demand. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we we have our headquarters and our first full-blown micro factory is built in Phoenix. And our first vehicle is called the Rally Fighter. And it's this really kind of radical, um, looks like a Baja race car, but it's street legal. But it's great for desert and Baja type use. And But that wouldn't be a vehicle of choice for New York City, right? Because, <laughs> you know... So each microfactory will definitely be able to build and sell all of our inventory, 
mm-hmm. but it would be focused on the regional demand. So if it's more of an urban need, then the vehicles would more likely be, you know, urban-based vehicles that would be rolling out of our microfactory. How do you guys use 3D printing in these microfactories? Would would this all be, uh, would all these cars be 3D printed? Probably not all of them. Our, uh-huh. our rally fighter is kind of like, it's built kind of like a tubular frame race car. And that would continue to probably be the same thing. We may be able to swap out some of our components um, with 3D printed components in the future. But right now what we're working on, for example, is a fully highway certified electric vehicle that will be 3D printed. Mm -hmm. It's close to 90% of it will be 3D printed, mainly the the chassis and the body. So all the big stuff, you know, the motors and drivetrain, those types of things would be sourced and assembled onto our 3D printed car. So not all of our vehicles will be 3D printed, but we're really focusing on that right now. So have you guys um, actually 3D printed a car yet? We have. We've, um, we have a 3D printed car. You can find it online pretty easily either through our website or just look it up. It's called the Strati. And it's essentially was a proof of concept. We created our first one in the fall of uh, 2014. And then we did another one. We, we built some in the, in the shop and in the factory also. But in for public viewing, we actually built one at the IMTS show in uh, 2014. And then we did it again at the Detroit Auto Show this year in January. And, uh, yeah, there, it's, it's neighborhood electric vehicle performance, fully electric. Um, but it's really cool. And it, you know, it doesn't help on the radio show. <laughs> to talk about how cool it looks, but uh, it's, it's easy to find online. It's, but it, it took us about 44 hours to build that. Um, but we're, we're getting better and better at um, the 3D printing. You know, if we are currently, I think, you know, one of our printers, just to give you an example, is about 60 pounds per hour um, is its capacity. And we're, we think we can get that down to about 100 pounds per hour pretty mm-hmm. soon. So we expect our our um, next vehicle to be able to be printed in about 24, 25 hours. Oh. Print while you wait, huh? Yeah. Order it today, pick it up tomorrow. Yeah. So very, And that is actually part of our model is we plan on being able to build these on demand. And would you have um, models, like stock models, or, or could people design their own theoretically? Theoretically, we would have a pretty wide range of options. Again, check out our website. We have some really cool stuff. We just did a design challenge for our, we're classifying as our highway car, the highway certified electric vehicle. Mm -hmm. And we did a design challenge. We chose the winner and it's pretty amazing. um, The project was called Project Redacted. So the winner of that project came up with a really great concept and then we have a standard chassis and maybe half body kind of is what it looks like but then we have customized body panels so one of them kind of looks like a beach buggy another one looks like a sports car and it's essentially the same car but it's that customizable where it can look like a completely different car um, and then eventually we'll also have other options available but you know I could imagine we potentially would have 12 different body styles mm-hmm. and and again it's still the same car, it's still 3D printed, but it really fits to what the consumer wants. And then something really exciting is our goal is 
that these are the materials recyclable already. So we could imagine somebody coming in next year, two years down the down the road after they bought a car, they'd come in and essentially recycle it. Hmm. Um, they could recycle the whole thing. They could recycle just the the body panels and get a completely different look and feel. So that's one of our, our goals as well. So that would be kind of neat to be able to come in and say, all right, you know what? The buggy was fun, but I want the sports car model. Um, go ahead and recycle these, you know, recycle these components, and I'll come back tomorrow and pick up my new one. No. So theoretically, you could have your own individually customized car that nobody else has out there. Theoretically, sure. Oh. I mean, that, that won't be the beginning of our business model. We yeah. have to, you know, kind of kind of walk before we run. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I want to switch over to talking about autonomous vehicles. I know you do a lot of work on those. Um, is that also something that Local Motors does, and and how does it relate to the work Local Motors Local Motors does? Yes, that's actually why I'm here. Um, <laughs> that's been my that was my focus. I was um, there's an organization. And under the U.S. Department of Defense um, and under the Department of the Army called TARDAC. It's an automotive research and development center I know you're familiar with. And and uh, I was consulting there for about six and a half years, focusing mainly on the vehicle robotics, ground vehicle robotics. And we came up with some really interesting strategies that were collaborative within the Department of Defense, but also Department of Transportation and the other federal agencies and bringing in private partnerships as well. And when I met Jay Rogers, you know, we kind of collaborated on these types of strategies and um, I joined Local Motors to lead their autonomous vehicle development. Mm-hmm. So that's really what I'm, I'm here for. And we're actively working on it. So we're, we have a few different paths. Um, right now, the automotive OEMs are kind of taking one path, but it's kind of incremental development is they're adding driver assist features and it's getting the vehicle is getting more and more automated. And then you have Google that just jumped right in. You know, they're fully autonomous mm-hmm. and they're they're getting in their test miles on the on the road immediately. And then they have their secondary strategy where it's you know, low speed, um, semi controlled environments, you know, like um, Mountain View or Austin. And, and I know they were doing testa at NASA, testing at NASA Ames. So they kind of are employing two strategies. We're going to kind of do the same thing. Is I really believe that there is a, a great market in low-speed autonomous vehicles. Mm-hmm. That you know, campus-type applications could be airports, downtowns, college campuses, theme parks. Um, first, all those first and last mile solutions that are out there in the and there's not really good um, solutions for yet. I think autonomy will fit in there really, really well, planned communities. So that's one of our big focus areas is to go full autonomy, kind of like the Google Podcars, and then start getting them out into those markets pretty quickly into test environments like pilots. Again, that's very parallel with Google. And then at the same time, as we develop our highway certified vehicle, we are going to also add driver assist features. I can see us doing something like highway driving, like a few of the OEMs are doing, like uh, GM and Cadillac are coming out with their super cruise 
pretty soon where you know you can go totally hands-free on the highway under a certain speed um i could imagine us doing something like that as well as maybe um autonomous valet parking those types of things when you say low speed autonomous vehicles you mean do you mean it would be it's a normal car and at low speeds you can set it on autonomous mode or is it a vehicle or is it not really a car replacement it's not a car replacement like you would think as an individual, um, individually owned car. It would be more fleet type application. Like public so, transit? Yeah, but it could still be a car. You know, it could be a two-seater or four-seater car, um, as well as maybe small shuttles. We actually have a, a shuttle that we're working on. We did this really great project in Berlin. We have an office in Berlin, and it was called the Urban Mobility Challenge. And the focus was Berlin in 2030 of, you know, how can we solve some of these urban mobility issues that we're going to have as the city continues to grow. Mm-hmm. And we had multiple categories for winners, but one of them, one of the winners was this autonomous small shuttle, like an eight person um, capacity shuttle. And so we're working on getting that built and piloted over the next year or so. But that that could be one of a good example of a low speed uh, autonomous vehicle. But then I could also see them in in kind of those campus situations where these they could act kind of like taxis or Uber cars without drivers. Robo taxis. So mo- yeah, robo taxis. Kind of a mobility on demand feature where you call it with your smartphone and it'll come pick you up and take you somewhere within the the campus environment, which could be across town if you're in a downtown area. Yeah. Um, let me ask you about uh, how you feel about the the safety of autonomous cars. A lot of people uh, are wary to put their lives in the hands of robots. Should they be? I mean, do you think people are ready for, for these kind of vehicles? But generally, yes, how I feel, I feel great about it. Mm-hmm. So, but now we have to get everybody else to feel great about it. It's just because I've had so much exposure um, with first through the military and then through private organizations that are working on these types of vehicles. I've been on so many demonstrations and led many of the demonstrations. And I've never seen an accident where a vehicle hit somebody. Um, it's, it's bound to happen someday. I just haven't been involved or seen it yet. So kind of to your question, are people ready? I don't think they're quite ready yet. There's early adopters that get excited. When people ride in these vehicles, they get comfortable really fast. Yeah. But at large, people are pretty skeptical still. So that's, again, why I like the low-speed applications. Now, to give you, a, give you an idea, I've done many, many demos. But we, well, a couple things that we found is the culture of the site, of the location, really plays a big part of that. We did a um, an assisted living community that was part of a hospital campus. They wanted to, you know, kind of see could autonomous vehicles and shuttles help with the mobility of some of their senior citizens and residents. Also, could it be um, kind of shuttle them from their living area to the hospital next door? And they were very comfortable with it, but at the same time, they respected it a lot. They Nobody was going to walk in front of this, yeah. you know, automated <laughs> shuttle. And then on the other hand, we took it to Silicon Valley and we did a week-long um, demonstration on a really well-known um, tech company. And on day one, we counted 160 people 
stepped or jumped in front of the vehicle to see what would happen. <laughs> and, and it made for a horrible ride on the shuttle because essentially the humans were bullying the robot. And uh, um, so it was interesting to see how that social engagement was. And they were doing it for fun. They were like, hey, watch this. And they would step in front of it or jump in front of it. And, um, but it was, it was interesting, though. As the week went on, the rioters started to police the pedestrians <laughs> and, and, and asking them to get out of the way or honking or whatever they were they had to do to make sure that they had a smooth ride. Hmm. But, you know, it, you know, it's interesting. I think part of it's generational. Part of it is, you know, people's um, how tech savvy they are. The, the Silicon Valley folks weren't nervous, you know, as a, as a whole group. They were extremely comfortable with it. Yeah. Okay. can imagine. Yeah. Just while we're talking about the environments that these cars are released in, what what are kind of the political and legal challenges de- dealing with city? I, I assume you deal with the city administration um, in figuring out policy. Yeah, yeah, and that's a, that's why also why we're also doing pilots. Some of the pilots are on private um, sites. Some are kind of integrated, private to public. You know, we have to cross the streets or use some public streets. So we have, we definitely have to work with the city and state officials to make sure that we have permission to do it, to work on policy. But that if we're doing a test, you know, a long-term meaningful pilot, collecting data, partnering with, let's say, the State Department of Transportation, we will be able to use that information to help build policy. Yeah. You know, and that's another thing that Google's really helped with. They've, they've been out on the front lines working on this. And some of the challenges that we're running into are, you know, even the states that allow for autonomous vehicle testing, they still want somebody behind, basically somebody in the driver's seat, you know, a, a trained operator mm-hmm. or a licensed driver in the driver's seat. Well, some of our vehicles don't have driver's seats. They, you know, an automated shuttle doesn't have any driver controls whatsoever. Um, and actually some of our even two or four seat um, autonomous shared vehicles, I would like to take the, the uh, controls out of them and not allow the passengers to have access to the controls. And uh, Google's first design was like that, but then they put in a little steering wheel and, and driver controls because they, they were having a tough time with the regulation. Why do you but, want to take them out? Because uh, people play with them. <laughs> And it's not necessary. So if we're using this as a, a fully automated transport, they're just in the way. Um, and at the same time, in the, if they're, even if they're disengaged, you know, we don't really want a passenger because it could be who's in, you know, if it is public transportation, who's going to be sitting in that seat? Are they, are they licensed? You know, do we have to screen everybody? Oh, yeah. um, so it, it's just a better model. And, and we also... It's kind of an interesting, these are interesting philosophies and questions is also in that even if we keep them in there, do we essentially disengage them? Because if it's a public transport system and, uh, you know, a pedestrian is crossing in front of the vehicle 30 yards away, 40 yards away, and the, the, the robot essentially knows that, you know, based on the trajectory and speed that, it really doesn't have to deviate. It can, it can stay on course and um, at the same speed, and the pedestrian should get out of the way. If the pedestrian stops, then obviously the, the vehicle will stop. Well, what if the human panics and decides to slam on the brakes or steer 
hard to the left and there's a pedestrian on the left side. It's, it's just too many unknowns if we would allow just random public to be able to have access to those controls. And this is, I'm talking about kind of post pilot, um, yeah. you know, after the, you know, the certified operator was out of the vehicle. So when yeah. can, when do you think people will be able to buy self-driving cars? How far away is that? That's a really good question. I, I think, you know, Google's talking about five to seven years. Um, if you're talking about fully automated, um, I, I would go with their timing because they think they're out in front. And for for us, for me, I see us selling our vehicles more into shared model or fleet model. So it wouldn't be necessarily individuals or private consumers buying them, but it would be companies buying these fleets or municipalities. So we will have our vehicles will be ready probably at the end of next year, um, and but definitely in 2017. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And do you, do you know where viable launch sites would be for for that? Like, what what states are open to that, or cities? Well, if it's private property, it, it's pretty much anywhere. Um, yeah, I mean, it's because it, it's whoever owns that property, and then it's it's up to them on how they want to operate vehicles. So you can see like maybe a really huge resort or a some of the planned communities in Florida are huge. Mm-hmm. You know, there's hospitals and retail space and school systems and it's all within the planned community and those and it's all you know some of them it's completely private so those could be operating pretty quickly and then um and 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 i think that's what's going to have to happen is the large-scale deployment in these types of settings will then help us um, create the policy and the regulations so we can go on public streets that's that's my guess Yeah. Just going back for a minute, uh, you mentioned, or I think you mentioned that a lot of this technology actually came out of the military. How are, well, probably can't ask you how these are being used in the military, but, but how, how long has this technology been around and how, how, how does the, the work you guys do kind of interface with the technology coming out of the military? No, no, it's totally fine. because it's not secret. Most of the Google guys um, participated in the DARPA challenges, and they, you know, they happened like 10, 12 years ago, the beginning of them. Um, so the technology's been around for somewhere between 10 and 15 years, and it's been actively being developed and uh, tested and demonstrated within the military through that process, um, starting with DARPA. And, uh, and DARPA is great for that, of kickstarting these types of things through the challenges. And um, the project I was working on with the military was actually um, a very collaborative project that, you know, with no security clearances, the intent was to start to take the technology and use it for everyday use on military basis. You know, we, we tried to find operational use cases where, you know, it could be anything. It could be mowing lawns, you know, um, picking up trash, definitely transit, you know, and buses and shuttles and moving soldiers and Marines around the base. And then I know the, mil- the military is working a lot on um, autonomous supply, like um, convoys and things like that. And it, it's not secret. They're, 
they do dem- public demonstrations and you can find it online really easily. But it's, it all kind of stemmed from there. And a lot of the, the folks that were some of the best developers for those early DARPA challenges are now kind of our national leaders in this space. Mm-hmm. And most of them are working on some type of a commercial um, project or deployment. Like, you know, like I said, they're, the, uh, a lot of them went over to Google, so, or some of the best ones went over to Google. Um, Uber just you know, hired all of those engineers from uh, Carnegie Mellon. Some of those the senior guys at Carnegie Mellon also started with DARPA. So yeah, it really did initiate a lot of these things. And in the military, they typically have a goal. If things aren't you know, really top secret, which this isn't, um, their goal is to actually get this out back into the commercial markets. To, to do tech transfer and one of the, it's a really good use of our taxpayer dollars is if we can yeah. develop this technology for um, military use, but then it has a commercial use, then, you know, that's a great boost to our economy using federal tax dollars. So yeah, it's, there's nothing secret. It's, but it definitely, we definitely spun off from the military R and D. Our, um, are other countries doing this? I mean, is the United the United States is kind of leading the this this technology, but but yeah, we're, how, we're, internationally, we're actually we're actually not leading. We are actually no, we're we're behind. Asia is the, the Japan is ahead of us, um, and Europe actually is quite a bit ahead of us. Europe, yeah, yeah. Europe is doing right now. There's um, a really significant foresight. Um, pilot program that the UK is sponsoring. And um, so there, one is in Greenwich in London, another one's in Milton Keynes, and I forgot where the other two locations are. But they also, some of the earliest data for these types of autonomous um, pilot programs came out of City Mobile and City Mobile 2. City Mobile 2 is still going on, but they're, they're starting to release the data from their first phase. What is so, that? Yeah, Sorry, City Mobile? City, City Mobile 2. It's a ton of project going, going on in Europe. No, I think right now that City Mobile 2, they were kind of bouncing around Europe. They were they were essentially taking these autonomous vehicles and piloting them in the different cities around Europe. And I think currently they're in France, but I'm not really sure. I think they finished up one at um, Lausanne, Switzerland. And then I, I think they're uh, on their way to France, but I'm, I'm not up to date exactly with, with their schedule. But yeah, that's, and they're continuing to invest. There was another uh, re- request for proposal that just came out from the British government for autonomous vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, Singapore has a current um, request for information, and they, they plan to fund a couple projects um, for autonomous transportation um, by the end of the year, maybe early next year, and then pilot them next year. So we're well behind because we haven't, our government isn't there yet. Our Department of Transportation has been is just kind of getting up to speed. I mean, we have experts within the Department of Transportation and the technology, but kind of the funding cycle has been focused on. You know, we're talking about intelligent transportation mostly on connected vehicles, uh-huh. and now they're they're starting to um, get some of their research dollars aligned with autonomous systems. And I think that's that's happening right now. I just heard that. Um, some of the budgets were being approved for these types of systems, but you know, Europe's been doing it for well, five to seven years. Wow. They're, so they're they're a bit ahead of us. Our the the flag that we can wave is um, 
the two flags are probably DARPA helped with a, helps get a lot of this started and Google. So those, at, least, at least we have those. How does the technology kind of exchange work between, say, Europe and us? I mean, are we totally open with with what we're learning, or um, we're trying? You know, there. You know, Europe. The, the one project I'm really familiar with is in Greenwich in London, and there are no U.S. companies involved um, currently, but there may be soon. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't. I can't say. <laughs> Um, exactly who that might be, mm-hmm. but um, so that would that would help. And then also, um, the governments are are trying to collaborate a little bit. But again, the U.S. has has not contributed anything to this. I mean, this is a purely U.K. money and the U.K. project. Mm-hmm. So that that was my role actually when I was working with the Department of Defense, as I was trying to get the, our federal agencies to collaborate, but also look at. Um, projects in Europe and see how we could team up with with them. And, and, and there's a lot of interest. We just didn't quite get there before I joined Local Motors and, and uh, started doing it for, for Local Motors. Cool. Um, okay, well, I'd like to end by asking you um, kind of where, where you see the where you predict the industry will be at in the next maybe 20 years and, and what you're most excited about? I'm most excited about the uh, shared autonomy. Um, so kind of mobility on demand type transportation where um, there's a vision and this will probably be this full vision will probably be closer to 20 years, but you know, I can call a vehicle to me from my house you know, put in the right parameters that um, whether it's a short trip or a long trip or if I'm going by myself or with my whole family, the right type of vehicle comes and picks me up or picks my family up. If it's a long trip, you know, we're going to go to northern Michigan and it's a three-hour drive and it's the whole family, then maybe it's kind of like a, um, uh, a minivan-type vehicle that's mm-hmm. automated and um, can get you there. But if it's just somewhere I'm going 10 miles and it's just me, it's almost like a little city car, a little pod car. And, um, and kind of the same thing for the return trip. Is, is, um, that's what it, that kind of excites me. And, this, and also to see certain areas, um, like downtown areas that are just completely congested, to start to convert to a shared autonomy model. You know, it doesn't mean people can't own cars. But in Manhattan or in Paris, most people don't, you know, and let's get the private cars out of the congested areas, out to the out, outskirts, use this shared automated transportation in the, you know, in this kind of campus environment. And, um, you know, it's, I think that that would be a really cool vision. I think actually it's going to happen in certain areas because yeah. people are really getting tired of congestion and wasting time. And also if you own a car, it sits, even if you love your car, it still sits most of the time. 90% of the time it's sitting in your garage or, you know, parked outside. Will there be a day where we don't drive our own cars anymore, where it's not even legal? I don't think so. Um, I think it, there could be some limited, like I was saying, like limited access. Like if I was going to go into Manhattan, that maybe I had to if I had a rental car or if I had my personally owned car, I would have to park it 
in a structure outside the city than take public transportation into the city. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think so. I think we'll, at least not in my lifetime or probably my kid's lifetime, where it'll be illegal to drive your own car. But, you know, I, I think we like doing it too much, especially something like our rally fighter. It's way too fun not to drive it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, thank you, Corey, for for taking the time to be on our show today. This has been really interesting. Um, um, I, uh, thank you for having me on and letting me share my opinions. Once again, that was Corey Clothier of Local Motors. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening. For more from us, tune in next week or find us on Facebook or Twitter. For Charles Lee Frank Ling and the rest of the Grox crew, I'm Samantha Thomas. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.